The Oklahoma City Thunder get a major bounce back on the second night of a back-to-back against Detroit. The young core was impressive. So was Casey Wallace. Davis Bertans makes his debut and so much more on today's Locked On Thunder podcast. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, and editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Styles. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com. On today's show, we're diving into the Oklahoma City Thunder bouncing back against the Detroit Pistons. SGA drops 30 points again. J-Dub and Josh Giddy look impressive. And Mark is starting to figure out some lineups in the early season. Today's show is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create your account, and use code LOCKEDONNBA. You're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Folks, the Thunder played the second night of a back-to-back, and it was the rare back-to-back that came at the perfect time. Not only did the Thunder play the first half of this back-to-back on a Sunday afternoon, so you get the extra hours uh, of rest in between that you don't normally get, but the Thunder were blown out on Sunday, so not only do you want to flush that result and move on, but you also were able to rest some some of your key guys down the stretch because the game was already over and get even more additional rest heading into this one. And then you welcome in the Detroit uh, Pistons, who are a young team. They, they have a spunky defense. They they were 2-1 and one coming into this game, but ultimately they're going to finish uh, closer to the bottom of the standings and the top of the standings. So it was the perfect uh, matchup for OKC. You got SGA coming off of uh, his worst game in years. You had Josh Giddy on a two-game slide. Uh, you had just this, this perfect combination for a – quote-unquote breakout game or more uh, aptly a a bounce-back game for OKC. Now, Jay Will and Kenny Hustle were both still out tonight. And in this game, you know, I want to start by talking about uh, Bobby Sports that just spit up all over themselves uh, before this uh, evening started. And it was a a problem around the NBA. It was a Bobby Sports problem, uh, not individual team problem, and especially the Thunder – um, you know, the, those are two, uh, there's just, it's an awful situation at, at the end of the day, Bali sports is, is a terrible, terrible production of the NBA of sports in general. Uh, they, they're bankrupt and their apps don't work, even though they're vastly over overpriced and I have to pay the, uh, the, the price of admission for the app as well. So I feel your frustration there. And it doesn't work. It, it simply doesn't work. And, and they're going bankrupt. And at the end of the day, the league is always talking about television ratings and always talking about the stars having to play and always talking about what the players can do to make this a more watchable sport. 
What can the league do to make this a more watchable sport? Maybe go and figure out a way legally with your billion and billion and billion of dollars of your corporation to legally snatch away this contract with Bali Sports, rip it up, and fund a new path for each individual team to be able to broadcast the rest of this year and then rework uh, how they do broadcast from now on. Or even better, and a more easier solution for the league is end all of your blackouts for this entire season until Bali Sports is no longer in existence. Because at least then, fans would be able to stop paying for Bali Sports, just simply pay for League Pass, which is cheaper than Bali Sports, I might add. Uh, and, and they can watch every game from around your league, and, and you get more eyeballs in your league in general. And if you take away blackouts, okay, Bali Sports Oklahoma isn't working uh, on their on their app, but you can go watch the game on League Pass. But if you're in market, even that solution does not help you. And so if it's this frustrating to watch your sport, and by the way, the Stars were playing tonight, so like if you're concerned about the limited number of games that Stars are going to play, every member of the Thunder played and every member of the Pistons you wanted to see played. Cade played, Shea played, Chet played, uh, Duran played. Ivy played, like they all played, Josh Giddy, Jada, they all played. And it was a game that the majority of people in both markets could not watch because Bali Sports functionally is only on cable television, which is a the most dying of entities. It is going the way of the glass bottle milk right next to newspapers. It is not going to be good for this league to continue on with this Bali Sports as business as usual. And this is not a shot at anyone that works at Bali that you see on television or that work behind the scenes at Bali in terms of like camera operators or anything else or, or Chris and cage and Nick and Paris, those are thunder employees and they are just doing their job as best they can. This is a big picture issue with Bali of, of what they've done across leagues, what they've done. The Padres had to fund their own freaking uh, television, you know, kind of service, so to say, uh, and, and, and get it over the year for fans that way, because Bali pulled the rug out from under them in the middle of this season. You see what the jazz have done uh, of taking matters under their own hand, which is a humongous example. It is a, it is, it should be a, a beaconing light of hope for the NBA of what the, is what the Utah, Utah jazz have done. It's been phenomenal. At the end of the day, we can talk about stars resting. We can talk about, you know, kids not watching television and, and only wanting highlights at the end of the day. Forgetting all that, the people who want to watch your sport can't. The people who want to watch your product cannot watch it. That's the problem. That should be addressed first. Then we can trickle down to all the other resources. How do you reach out to the kids that only want to watch highlights? How, how, do you, uh, you know, how do you get the stars to play in more games and make these games feel like they matter? All that stuff is secondary if we fix all those issues and you still can't watch it. So it was embarrassing for the league tonight. Uh, I know it was frustrating for you all uh, who, who are listening, and I'll try to do uh, the best job I can, as I always do, to try to recap these games for those of you that missed it. And, and I hate that um, a majority of you missed it tonight, not by your own doing. It was just by the fact of uh, the league and Bali sports. Uh, I know that there's contracts. I know that it's not this easy. But when you have a billion-dollar corporation and you have a service that's not being provided to that billion-dollar corporation, something tells me that they could figure it out and fix it if they wanted to, if they cared enough to. And again, it's not a team level. It's an NBA level. The team cares enough to want to fix it, and they are they are as frustrated as you are. But the league has to step up, and they have to, to, to service their fans. But in this game, the Thunder did bounce back. They did get a massive win over Detroit 
winning this game 124 to 112. It was really a 20 point blowout win, but there was some garbage time in there uh, that kind of fluctuated the score. The Thunder at one point got up by 21 points. This game only saw three lead changes. Detroit never led by more than one point in this contest uh, and only one tie in the game too. The Thunder were able to go and shoot 53% from the floor, 44% from three, and 82% at the line. Detroit shot 49%, 53%, and 79%. The big kicker here is for OKC is that their stars showed up. And so the Thunder not only win the rebounding battle against a much bigger team, which was a collective effort tonight for OKC, uh, but they were able to get out and run more and and play out in transition, uh, and they also played really well in the paint. And so EOD... When Shea, Giddy, Jadab, and Chet play this way, you're going to win games more often than not, independent of your opponent. And, and so that's the big takeaway from this contest as Shea gets back on track uh, and scores 32 points in this one. You got to give a credit to Azar Thompson as well. Thompson was so active and so good defensively, but it's it's similar to with Chet Sunday. Thompson did everything right, and, and you can really be hard-pressed to find issues with his game and how he chose to defend Shea. Shea's just an incredible player. And Shea drops 32 points, nine rebounds, four assists, three steals, uh, nine for nine shooting from the free throw line, one for three from three, shot 47% from the floor overall. I I think for Shea, it it is ultimately, he did get to the line nine times today. Ultimately, he's still taking on a ton of contact and that frustration is mounting. And I think that the reason why you sort of saw a shift uh, throughout this game where it eventually did tack on to... uh, more free throws, you know, the nine free throws uh, in this one was Shea is a guy who commonly is very patient with the refs. It is the rare sight of an NBA superstar uh, to have him go out there and, and hardly ever even look at the refs, much less uh, not berate them. And in the first quarter, he was taking a pounding again and still was not being awarded free throws. And so he, he started to express that frustration uh, again, in a very respectful Shea manner, but still, you can tell whenever Shea is, is more frustrated with the refs than normal. And he got two free throws towards the end of the first quarter, and then it ultimately got to nine. But still, even Mark was frustrated with him. Even even the Thunder roster as a whole, top to bottom, is frustrated. This has been a, a cumulative effect of throughout the start of the season. The Thunder have gotten some bad whistles or no whistles at all. Uh, so I, I think that we're going to see how that trends and how that turns here in these next few games uh, after tonight, where he did not only get back on track as a scorer, but did get to the line nine times, close enough to that to that season average. But there were still some some misses from the officiating crew, and there always is going to be from the officiating crew. It's just the human nature of it. But more important than that, because I, I think that you want to always talk about what you could actually control, the SGA and Chet Holmgren two-man game is going to be awesome. And you saw it work to perfection in this game. It got some very odd switches, like it got it got the Ren on Shea and Thompson on Chet. Uh, there's going to be a lot of different teams and a lot of different lineups where that is a fantastic formula for OKC, and those are two and those are two options that both these guys like. And you saw when SGA got got switched on the Duran, he really liked to attack, uh, and, and you saw SGA toying with the defenders just like he always does, uh, and at times making them even stumble. He had that crazy dunk. You know, like Shea was just Shea tonight. And one of the plays that exemplifies something that I talk about a lot is like how abnormal he is for a superstar. Most superstars don't have the motor to play both ends of the floor. He does. Most superstars berate officials versus playing defense. He doesn't do that. 
And another aspect of it is, is that his willingness to do the dirty work of like deflections, diving for loose balls, trying to regain possessions. And so in the, in the sequence of him being frustrated, like while, uh, while he's clearly expressing frustration, he also, there's a, there's a kind of a, a play where he like fumbled away the, the, the basketball and it ended up with, with him and his R getting tied up for a jump ball. Cause his R uh, dove on it and most superstars, you know, a jump ball, they'd, they'd go through the motions of it and not actively try to win it. Shea like tried to win it. He did win it and Lou Dort cashed in a three. And so ultimately the Thunder got up by 20 points and it didn't matter. But like your superstar being willing to just not be too cool for school is going to net you some important possessions and important games down the line. And, and this is kind of the foundation for that, for Oklahoma City and for SGA as a whole. So uh, he was he was great tonight. He got back on track, but so was the rest of this young core which we're going to talk about coming up. But first, I want to say right now, but good friends over at FanDuel. Folks, it is the perfect time to go to FanDuel. And why do I say that, you might ask? Because with FanDuel, everything's in season. Like you, you've heard of like, oh, the, this fruit is not in season. Sports are in season, baby. We're so back. The NBA's back. The NFL is cooking. College football in the thick of things. The NHL is back and the World Series is still happening. We're about to hit November and there's still baseball. You can bet on it all at fanduel.com slash locked on. And folks, when you do, new customers will get $150 on bonus bets whenever you bet on the money line. So the money line is just like who you think will win. So literally, all you have to do is, as a new customer, go bet a money line bet of $5, and you're going to get $115 back, uh, uh, back when you win. Win or lose, you're going to get that back in bonus bets. Plus, it'll stack on your winnings. So what you should really do is, you know, look, you win the bet by predicting who will win, right? So to, in order to get this reward, all you got to do is, is go and bet on the biggest favorite there is and hope that there's no Appalachian State Michigan upset. And bada bing, bada boom, you're up your winnings and you're up $115 for yourself at FanDuel. Check it out today because you can also bet on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Folks, I wonder if Josh Giddy is a picture guy. Like, I wonder if... Oh, my. James Harden has been traded to the L.A. Clippers. How about that? Listen to Lockdown NBA because the folks over there, and it is, I believe, Jake Madison and uh, and my good friend, John Corrales, doing it today for Wednesday. Oh, my goodness. You're going to in for a treat because, trust me, I love that duel in Lockdown NBA. This is a huge topic in the NBA. They're going to cover it all for you there. But we're going to get back to Thunder coverage right now, but that's just that live on the podcast right there. Wow, you finally did it. You finally got to L.A. So Russ and, and, and Harden are presumably back together now, obviously. That's that's awesome. Look, as I was saying before, I was rudely interrupted by Woj and ESPN and everyone else. I think Josh Giddey's a picture guy. And so what I mean by that is an expression that Mark always uses is, you know, he's seen the pictures, he's got to see the pictures, whatever. 
Josh Giddy started out slow last year, too. Like, his first 10 games were not good. And then he had a stretch where he looked like a, a budding star in this league. And, and, we, and we continue to preach on this podcast how underrated his improvement last year was. But he started out slow. And this season, he has started out slow. In this game, he started out slow and turned it on in the second half. So I wonder if Josh Kitty is just one of these players where, like, we, we, we haven't yet gotten to, to have a big enough sample size of these guys' careers to where we hyper-analyze each individual game. And so the, the criticism was so loud over Josh, uh, Josh Giddey's game these last couple of nights. But, but it, it might just be because we don't know who he is yet. And, and we don't know, like, for certain players we know, like, oh, he started slow, but he always does every single year. Then he's an all-star and an all-NBA kind of guy by the end of it. These games do not matter for that player as he's working his way through things. That could easily be where Josh Kitty falls into because this is starting to become a pattern of him starting slow, and he also has a pattern of getting better each year throughout the course of the season and throughout the course of games and as he's adjusting more to the NBA, getting caught back up to speed. You know, there's certain players where it's just like abnormal. There's certain players where it's just like Luca, like the, the big knock on Luca has been he's got to play himself into shape as he, as the NBA season starts out uh, and starts back up. For Josh Giddey, it's none of that stuff. It's just like I think that he's got to see how teams are defending him and and how to counter it. I, I think that each year, and he's talked about this before last year, I, I think that each year, you know, you know, teams, of course, there's a book out on you. You spend all summer long as, as assistant coaches and, and as and as uh, you know, personnel staff and player development staff, and you want to impress and move up the ladder. And so you grind over this tape and, and figure out ways to, to impress the bosses and figure out ways to, to counteract some of the, some of the top players on each team. And every year the book is out and, 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 and redone and rewritten on how, on how to defend Josh Giddy. And I think that he's a player that has to see how they're going to try to defend him each year before he makes that big adjustment as he did last year. Uh, and so in this game, you really saw it kind of analyzed here with, one for six in the first half with four rebounds and three assists and a steal. In the second half, he was 17 points on 66% shooting, three rebounds and a block, right? He was never as bad as the noise made it seem. Like, I, I think that he always, like against Cleveland, he shot poorly. I, I fully, fully, fully agree he shot poorly, and, and, and you have to shoot better than that. But he found other ways to impact the game. Against Denver, everybody was terrible. Like, it was just a terrible game. It was one of those nights. Uh, and then tonight he comes in here and has a bad first half. And instead of letting that kind of uh, push him down or or not necessarily push him down, but like weigh on him to the point where he tries to do too much to break out of this cold streak, this little, this little skid he's on, he just continued to let the game come to him. What he did was make the proper course correction of his job this season that he's talked about from FIBA to the, the, the media day to preseason to training camp to to. Game one, his job this year is to attack the rim harder, more aggressively downhill. And he got to that in the second half. He went on a 4-0 run to start the half, you know, the first four points for OKC, I should say, to start the half uh, in the second half. You know, he, he was more aggressive, and, and he he picked his spots better to settle for that floater versus to uh, bowl all the way down and, 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 as he put it, pull these smaller guards that you put on him at his size. Uh, and I'm curious, curious to take the reaction to his quote about uh, Chip England is the one to uh, encourage him to to shoot more at the rim. Uh, th- there's a way you can spin that out of context to to make it look bad. If if you're if you're seeing that around around social media right now, that is like nothing to do with like his potential as a shooter, and everything to do with your touch around the rim and, and your your touch in general helps you shoot at all three levels. But also, 
we've said on this podcast even before the year started that like his biggest his biggest like area to improve is his scoring inside the arc because if he can become a really prolific scorer inside the arc then defenses have to start rotating to him and defenses have to start collapsing on him and when defenses collapse on Josh Giddy who Chet Holmgren is trying to force the nickname Vanilla Magic on when they collapse on Josh Giddy he's going to make you pay and he's going to be a better player because I promise you if we do get to this euphoric land, the promised land of Josh Giddy shooting 38% from three, shooting 35% from three, they're still not going to respect him. They're still going to let him shoot and live with it. Because I don't think he's ever going to be like a huge volume guy. He might reach that percentage plateau, but he's not going to be this humongous volume guy to where if you let up a couple of threes a game or, or, or three or four threes a game even, with what you can limit by, by, by packing the paint on Shea and everyone else, you live with it to where if he's now also one of those drivers and one of those those you know kind of playmakers, then it enhances him in general as you start to add more shooting to this team. We've seen Casey Wallace be able to shoot the ball. We've seen Chet Holmgren able to shoot the ball. We've seen Jadub able to shoot the ball. We saw last year Jay Will shot 40% from three. And that's a great example, by the way. Last year, Jay Will shot 40% from three. Teams are still not defending him beyond the arc in the preseason, uh, and, and we'll see what they do once he makes his regular season debut. So uh, I think Josh Giddy ultimately is going to be the first one to to get the criticism pointed out on, on him. Uh, he is the punching bag for this fan base. I don't really know why. Uh, I, I, my best guess is his mistakes are the loudest because for a guy who who makes his bread and butter at the rim uh, or the ring, uh, whenever whenever you're missing floaters and the team's doing terrible and you want someone to to take your frustration out on it ends up being a guy like Josh Kitty who's going to shoot poorly. Like whenever he's having a bad game, he's going to shoot poorly. Uh, and, and then, and then, you know, you just kind of pick on him, so to say, but ultimately he was never as bad as like the, I mean, there was people on Twitter, like I'm giving up on his career over two games in October. Let's relax. But he's really good today. Uh, really turned it on uh, in the second half, 21 points, seven rebounds, four assists, a steal, a block and a turnover. J-Dub dominated this game. And I'm not sure, like, you might look at this box score and, like, think dominates too strong. This is a classic case of, like, first of all, his box score is really good. 19 points, 6 assists, 7 rebounds, a steal, and a block. But, like, he was even more impactful than that. He was insanely active, and he was playing insanely passionate and expressive, and he's talking to the officials. And he was kind of being, like, that vocal leader uh, from, from where we were sitting. It looked like he was being this vocal leader that the Thunder, like, need. Like, like Shea is the leader, and he is a very much... Uh, I'm going to go do all the right things. Come with me. Same with Kendrick Williams, who's who's you know an accomplished leader on this team of like, he's a guy that players truly respect and love and rally around, but he's also not going to be this humongous rah-rah guy or, or and, and he's going to make you energized by the plays he makes on the court. J-Dub will give you that, that artificial uh, energy and also give you the real energy too. So like, uh, I, I think that with J-Dub, it was really good to see him turn it back on and you, can, and you could tell it, it appeared that he really really wanted to have a game like this because he, he had a, a you know quiet start to the season and he wanted to have a game like this. And whenever he's driving to the rim, he looks like a man on a mission. And typically when you hear that, you just think of this battering ram. And yes, he's gotten a lot better 
at being the first to initiate contact, which really helps you finish at the rim. If you're the first to initiate that contact, now the defender is off balance. It's kind of like whenever a, a quarterback throws a jump ball down the field and the receiver turns into the DB. If you can initiate that contact, now your defender's off balance and you're the one that has an easy life at the ring. So uh, he did a great job of that. He's, he's doing a great job of using his strength to finish through and, and, and over people uh, and, and with guys straight all over him, he's finishing. But he's also on a mission of like, What's the best way I can accomplish the goal, the goal of scoring? And so he's picking his spots about when to use a float or when to use a more crafty finish versus when to just go in there and try to beat the door down. He also had a tough bucket on the low block. It was a highly contested jumper. I thought that was really good. And with this added strength, the most impressive part has been there's been no adjustment to his speed. He still has the ability to blow past you off the bounce. That's been awesome to see him maintain both. Now, he had a catch-and-shoot triple with two nuggets flying at him, and it was a it was to cap off an 8-0 run. It was the official dagger where, like, Monty calls a timeout and just everyone knows the game's over and no neither team is going to try anymore. Uh, so it, it felt good for him to get going in that way and awesome for J-Dub in general for a game like this. Chet Holmgren being this good this early is a massive success for OKC and is a great sign for what's to come. What's also a great sign for what's to come is game time. Folks, game time's great. And, and game time is uh, the, the the perfect thing for you, especially after the Bali Sports debacle. The Thunder on a long homestand. What if Bali Sports still doesn't have their stuff together by Wednesday? Well, guess what? That's why game time's perfect. Because if you're waiting around at 5 or 6 o'clock and you're waiting to see if Bali Sports has their stuff together, you can hop on game time for the perfect and best Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. They have the flash deals. They have zone deals. It's easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event and show in your area, including Thunder Games here in Oklahoma City. You get a view from your seat so you know what you're going to get before you buy. You know exactly what the view is like and, and if it's where you want it to be. So make sure you check it out today because game time deals uh, on tickets rack up by the day and, and it's even right up to the start of the event. So make sure that you're checking it and checking it and checking it uh, and finding your exclusive flash deals as well. And again, if you, if you're thinking about Wednesday, you know, what, what should you do? It's a TNT game though. So I forgot about that. It's going to be a TNT game. So uh, Friday is a body sports game. This all still applies to Friday. Uh, we, we can go and, and look at game time for the lowest price is guaranteed. So download the game time app and create your account. Use code locked in MBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms and conditions apply. Make sure you go and redeem code locked in MBA. That's L O C K E D O N N B A. Go there right now for $20 off. Download the game time app right now at game time. We're back on the lockdown thunder podcast, on the lockdown podcast network, your team every day. Thank you so much making us your first listen every single morning, every single day we're here for you. It's not going to better basketball. Look, Chet Holmgren being this good this early is a great sign at the most difficult position to, to adjust to make a huge impact in your rookie season. So that's great for, for Chet Holmgren. That's great for uh, the Thunder in general. He had some special blocks today. Swatting away that Killian Hayes fadeaway was so mean. Like, like, like the block on Killian Hayes' fadeaway was as if, you know, your dad took you out to the playground and he lets you score a few baskets, but then you opened your mouth. We've all been there. We've all been there. You're playing your pops. You're out there on the hard pavement, on the blacktop, 
and he lets you get a couple bucks in there and a little lay action, a little mid-range jumper action. And you start talking, oh man, you can't hang with me. Oh man, you're washed. You know, go, go push some pencils around at work, pup. You can't be out here on the court with me, pop. Yeah, well, we've all been there. And then the next possession, ball in, check up. You go up for that, for that snazzy little, little step back jumper you saw Jerry Stackhouse do the night before and boom, he hits you with the Tyler Hansbro rejection. That's what it looked like with Chet Holmgren blocking Killian Hayes. That's exactly what it looked like on that fadeaway from Killian Hayes. He had a block of Jalen Durant at the rim where he was just meeting Durant at the highest point. He was swallowing up Azor Thompson's dunk attempt with two hands off the backboard. He finishes with, with 14 points, four rebounds, three assists, two steals, four blocks. An unreal impact at the hardest position for a rookie to adjust to. And he only shot threes tonight. He went, he went four for five from three. He did, he did drive to the lane once and got to the free throw line uh, in that uh, opportunity. Now, there, there's one huge positive and one negative I want to talk about with, with Chet Holmgren. The huge positive is, for all of the freak out of yesterday uh, about him him being uh, scored on by, by Jokic, this is the living color example of what we always say. No one can stop Jokic. That's not the goal. The goal is to play good against the you know, 28 other bigs outside of Jokic and Embiid that you get matched up with. Jalen Duran is the fantasy big man for OKC. OKC fans sit around and daydream of Jalen Duran. And they and they pine for the days in which they draft him over Usman Jang. And they sit there and they and they cry about Usman uh, about Jalen Duran. This is a guy that can't shoot threes very well and shot 36% from the floor. So Chet Holmgren handles this, this Adonis Jalen Duran, the small little lengthy wiry Chet Holmgren just handles Duran, outperforms him by a mile, holds him to 36% shooting, and there's crickets. There's crickets. Yes, he can't guard Jokic. And and when, when Embiid comes to town in a couple of weeks, he, he won't be able to guard Embiid. Spoiler alert, Embiid's going to score 30. Guess what, folks? Embiid does that every single night because he's Joel Embiid. Jokic does that every single night because he's Nikola Jokic. It has nothing to do with who he's matched up with. If there were such a thing as a Nikola Jokic stopper, he wouldn't be an all-time great. Like he, That's why Jokic is so good. You can't stop him. We've seen many shapes and sizes try to stop Jokic. You can't do it. Can't be done. But you can stop the 28 other guys. And that's what Chet brings to the table, is the ability to withstand guys like Jalen Duran. So it's not a size thing. It's not a, it's not a frame thing. That was always an easy crutch. It's a, it's a game-to-game thing and a matchup-to-matchup thing. Everyone and every team has different matchups where they match up better or worse against uh, and, and different guys who have their number. The bottom line is, Jokic is great. Duran is a really good player who has the exact build that people are afraid Chet can't defend. Chet defends him exceptionally well, and people are still going to talk about his, his, his skinniness today. I think that it's, that's, it's, a, it's a, another real-time example of like when we talk about how everyone is quick to make the jokes and, 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 and crutch on the memes, and they never are, are willing to uh, you know, say whenever they were wrong, but they're willing to do their, their victory laps afterward. Kaysen Wallace, as a player, is so good. And the, as the days go on, as the sand goes through the hourglass, I am more convinced 
that Casey Wallace is going to be a, a rotational fixture for OKC the entire season. Mark, after the game, praised his, his intellect and how smart he is. Casey Wallace was awesome defensively. You know, he, he's picking guys up 94 feet, and he's just kind of like showing himself 94 feet as like a pest. He's not like pressing up on, on anyone. And, and my best guesstimation is that like he's kind of getting the – getting like the pacing or the timing down, so to say, it, you know, he's kind of like revving himself up for when, when they get to the half court, I'm going to ask him about like what the benefit is to doing this without like actually pressing up uh, on, on your matchup and just like kind of following him around the floor for 94 feet and, and the ball handler down the floor past the timeline. But that's a, an awesome trait that he has the motor to do that. He had a floater today and he worked on that floater pregame. He took 26 floaters at Kentucky. I wonder if we see that soon more in the NBA. And then today wasn't much about his offensive scoring. He did miss his first NBA three. He, he's shooting one for two tonight. And tonight was more so about his NBA creation. And, and he got a nice assist on a kick out to Usman Jang. But he also had a great creation play for himself where he's driving at the rim and he pass fakes to the corner and gets by his his, his matchup. But he's fouled from behind. So the, the, the shot didn't go in and he goes to the free throw line. But still, it, it freed up that lane for him to go score. That I thought was really good. I think that Mark is finding his lineups. Uh, I think number one, staggering Shea and Giddy together really works, you know, against each other really works, but it's more than just that. You know, in this game, the Thunder were staggering Josh, J-Dub, and Chet together versus, you know, when they were on the floor, SGA and Dort were sitting. When SGA and Dort were on the floor, those three were, were sitting. And I think that that's the perfect formula because it's so easy, it's easier to craft a lineup around SGA and Dort and fill out the last three spots versus the other way around. And it's going to get even easier once Jay Will and Kenny Hustler back. And so it was surprising that the patchwork lineup of SGA, Joe, Dort, Bertans, and Saar uh, really held serve. Like, like they, they went five, uh, they, they went uh, five and five in, in their little run the first time. They maintained the lead the second time uh, and, and bought time for the for the regulars to return. Like that was very impressive, especially that that group held up defensively. I think that Isaiah Joe's taking a nice leap on the defensive end, but but. Bertans uh, and, and Saar being out there was interesting. I, I think that the Thunder played Bertans perfectly in this one. We'll talk more about that coming up. I loved the the last dead ball lineup where at the end of the first quarter, they put in SGA, Joe, Wallace, Bertans, and Chet. There were wide open spaces, and I cannot believe that SGA did not drive there. It just The paint has never been so clear for SGA, and he just did a step back three, uh, and, and he missed that one at the end of the frame. But I would love to see that lineup go to more. If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna burn a game for Dallas Bertans, again, remember that the Dallas Bertans, he has to miss 20 games for his contract not to convey next year and so for it to only be five million dollars to cut him. So it's kind of like whenever you're looking at Jackson Arnold like as a red shirt quarterback. You you want to get him some action, but you got to make sure that you that you don't uh, uh play him in, in in too many games. And so with Bertans, in games where you're going to burn one of those games. You have to have my think in your dead ball lineups at the end of quarters because he just provides so much spacing. Bertans did play for the first time. I think part of it was because this is the perfect matchup to play him against. And, and he and he really only played whenever Joe Harris played because you can stick him on Joe Harris. And, and in this system, Joe Harris was as stationary as they come. And so it made for easy closeouts and you couldn't really exploit Bertans uh, defensively. And Detroit didn't necessarily try to. And, and I'll give Bertans credit. He's trying really hard. Uh, and he's communicating really well defensively, like, like communicating with his teammates really well defensively. And I think that also, like, Bertaz is trying his best. He's doing his best. 
he's just not very good at at defense. And some of us try really hard at stuff and we're just not very good at it. It's normal. But I think also like as a part of it, when his teammates know he's on the floor, they try to protect him too. And like they like lock in defensively. And so it makes his life easier also to keep him on the floor. Uh, he launched the first three he touched, which was very on brand. He got fouled on it. So he went to the line and made three free throws. But like it was a shot that he should not have shot in general. Uh, and he got fouled on it, but it, so it all worked out. He finished one for two from three, uh, six points, a rebound, 12 minutes. And again, he has to miss 20 minutes. And at the end of the day, he played well today, but like uh, to hammer home the point yesterday, 12 minutes, six points, one rebound is not the difference in yesterday's game. Uh, hat tip to Olivier Saar, very serviceable. And, and he's he's a great story of like playing 66 games for this franchise, going through training camp, going through a summer league, and then mostly playing in the G League. And he's getting his first ever extended run in meaningful games. No offense to uh, the Thunders of years past, whenever, whenever they were at the tail end of their seasons and playing for lottery balls. And also no offense to the to the G League showcase we saw on Easter Sunday last year with with uh, Kenny Lofton and Olivier Saar going at it. This is the first time he's played meaningful NBA games. And so that's really cool like, like to grind and get here to this point where you're playing extended run in, in, in meaningful games. He had a meaningful game against LA last year on the road, which was awesome. But like, this is like, he's like a part of the rotation. He's not like a, he's not like a, oh crap, let's try a new lineup kind of guy. He's like a part of this uh, for the, for this portion of the season. Ultimately, uh, it's still likely that he's not in the rotation once Kenny Hustle and Jalen are back because, because you just simply can't play everyone at the end of the day. Uh, now he, he's playing really well. And you cannot ask for a more serviceable two-way guy. Like, like there are not two-way contract players as good as Olivier Saar, as good as Lindy Waters, as good as Kante Johnson. Those are hard to find uh, that are as good as them and can play NBA minutes as good as them and eat those minutes for you. Uh, I'll use the analogy again of like Saar and Lindy being these veteran pitchers that are, that are just out there uh, as a long reliever to eat innings whenever your starter gets shelled and you don't want to burn up your bullpen. So, so they are like the Chris Young of of uh two-way guys but it but it works and Sar has his flaws obviously like he's still very overzealous going for blocks and yes he got three blocks tonight he also lost positioning tonight and gave up some easy buckets and he's getting scored enough the rim at a, at a 64 percent clip in the g league uh, but ultimately he has exceeded expectations in this go around the team loves him the team trusts him from the coaches to the players uh and he has managed this lack of front court depth exceptionally well. And, and like, you, I don't think that, I, I think if you take Sar away and you like, you don't play Sar in, in these games here, you're, you're not at this point three and one. I think he's that important because the alternative uh, just, you know, it wouldn't be good without Kenny and without Jay will. So credit to Sar for stepping up. We'll, we'll talk more about this team where they stand on tomorrow's show. Tomorrow's show is a mailbag podcast. So drop your questions down below on YouTube or wherever else you get your podcast from. MVP of the game, Josh Giddy today. So let me know who your MVP is. Let me know what you think about James Harden to the Clippers. Let me know if you listen to Locked in NBA like you're supposed to, because I'm sure John and, and Jake are losing their mind right now. And let me know what you thought about the about the Cleveland game and drop your question for tomorrow all down below on YouTube, all on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. And until tomorrow, be good and be good to one.